Look at the business model of an insurance company. It's to bring in as many dollars as they can in premiums and to pay out as few dollars as possible for your health care. With rising premiums... This week, the Democratic candidates for president will be in Westerville, Ohio, when they debate strategies for improving health care in the U.S., as our opening clip from Senator Elizabeth Warren suggests, several candidates are likely to criticize the role that for-profit companies, especially for-profit insurance companies, play in American health care. Yet, here in Ohio, the fact is that wherever it comes from, there's a need for funds to help nonprofits fill the gap left by our state's grossly underfunded public health programming. On today's episode, we talk with representatives from two nonprofit organizations in Northeast Ohio, as well as a vice president at a large private insurer that's providing funds to allow those organizations to expand their services. This is Prognosis Ohio, WCBE's healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. We've got a good episode for you today, a bit different than the usual. For one, it's taken me a little longer than usual to get this one out because we have three interviews instead of one, which created something of an editing nightmare for this rookie audio producer. Reminder to potential underwriters, by the way, I'd really like to be able to hire somebody to help me edit these episodes, so please be in touch. But we're also doing things a little differently this week than others because the subject is a bit more complicated than usual. On this episode, we're looking at a series of grants provided by the insurer, United Healthcare, to four Ohio nonprofit organizations who are doing important and hard work in their northeastern Ohio communities. At the same time, as you'll hear in these interviews, for me, this discussion of multi-billion dollar corporations providing grants to small Ohio nonprofits raises a bunch of issues about how we fund public health and other important programs in our state, about for-profit nonprofit partnerships, and even the future of the American healthcare system itself. On the one hand, as you'll hear, these grants, part of United Healthcare's Empowering Health Initiative, are really important to the operating budgets of the four organizations that have received this round of grants. To put it mildly, the organizations, East End Neighborhood House, Helen Keller International, Senior Citizen Resources, and the Ohio Association of Food Banks have big plans for the $1.1 million that United Healthcare is providing them. As our two guests, Zuma Zabala from East End Neighborhood House and Davida Cunningham of Helen Keller International, explain the United Healthcare money is allowing them to expand their services in really important areas, such as providing eye screenings and glasses to those who need them, transportation to social services and medical appointments, and to provide food to Ohioans. These are lifelines for these underfunded organizations. At the same time, the design of our healthcare system here in Ohio has left Ohioans in all corners of our state without the care and services they need. So there's a big question, at least for me, a product of public schools who believes in the power of public programs, about whether this approach is to be embraced moving forward or is actually a symptom of a much bigger and potentially unsustainable approach to health and healthcare here in Ohio. First, I talk with Zuma Zabala from East End Neighborhood House and Davida Cunningham of Helen Keller International to get a sense of what their organizations do and what they plan to do with the funds they received from United Healthcare. Then, in part two, I talk with Tracy Davidson, Vice President of Quality and Population Health Strategy for United Healthcare. Okay, now to Zuma and Davida. I begin by asking Zuma Zabala to tell us a little bit about East End Neighborhood House. 
Okay, so Eastern Neighborhood House is one of uh, Cleveland's oldest settlement houses, uh, which is better known as a basic family resource center in the neighborhood that services families and the community at large. Um, and at the heart of the services that we provide is uh, that of transportation. We transport seniors um, to come here to East End to our daily services that we have for them where they could have um, a meal, a couple of meals, actually, some social activities and be able to interact with each other. We've also been delivering meals to those seniors that are homebound uh, since the 1960s. And then we also transport children to come to East End and finding particularly difficult <laughs> the needs of teens who want to come to programs at the building because those programs tend to be in the afternoon and evening, and we don't want to put them on public transportation and not be sure if they're getting home safely. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about uh, what you plan to do with the grant that we're discussing in this episode and kind of what are some of the areas that you needed to uh, focus on? Two specific areas um, really critical, and that is the actual purchase of two new vehicles, uh, one of them to make sure that handicapped people can actually access. Our vehicles have been around oof, way too long, running on um, piecing, them, piecing them together over the last five years and um, obtaining dollars to actually buy vehicles is really challenging. It's not necessarily a popular grant in town. And so this will actually help us uh, replenish a, a very important item to transportation, which is the vehicle itself. So why do you think that transportation is not a, a typically very attractive thing? Is it just it doesn't give uh, grant funders an opportunity to demonstrate um, something flashy or is it do you have a, a sense of why that is? I, you know, I'm not sure why, because there's a lot of studies out speaking to uh, the need for transportation in the city. And, uh, you know, there are um, realities that are occurring in terms of lines that have been eliminated because of cuts that might be occurring in RTA. You know, so I, I don't believe it to be an unknown social issue, but for some reason, it's not a popular uh, area that is um, funded. $260,000. Give me a sense of what that means to your existing um, operating uh, approach. Oh, I mean, that that it means a whole lot. As I said, you know, the vehicles we've used in the past, um, a variety type of vans, um, but not necessarily the best vehicles, you know, to do the sort of transportation that you need to do. As I mentioned, um, having a, uh, a vehicle that provides uh, access to someone who's handicapped they're very expensive. You can run anywhere between thirty to $70,000 with just buying one vehicle. The other part of this is that it helps, you know, um, with some of the operations of actually providing that service. You know, there's drivers involved that we have to pay to actually provide that service to our seniors. And then the other neat thing about this uh, grant is that we're also able to partner with Uber Health which is going to allow us to also provide a rise to those participants who need to go to a medical appointment. 
and those for us capacity wide wise um if you service you know 60 to 70 seniors let's say even if you had enough drivers you know to um, maneuver the vehicles to transport people, it becomes really difficult to also be able to do individual medical appointments, right? Because everyone has a different set of needs. And so adding the piece of Uber Health to give us another way of providing transportation and access to our clients is just a phenomenal way of meeting that gap. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about how you think of partnerships or how you think about a nonprofit working with an organization like United Healthcare. Is that the model that you see moving forward increasingly? Is this a one off that you think, you know, will just help you get some uh, new vehicles or is this going to be uh, in your mind a kind of model for funding uh, the expansion of your organization? I've been in this work for over 20 some years and um, for years I've been speaking of the need for corporations to become more engaged beyond some of the other activities that they've done in the past. But this real hands-on on identifying what the needs of nonprofits are and then coming together to address that need is a powerful way of being able to address needs of the community. I would love to absolutely continue this partnership with United Healthcare and it wouldn't necessarily involve, you know, getting vehicles, but it could involve the fact that as a corporation they have capacity around other areas that for us as a nonprofit we can accommodate and we can certainly learn from corporations because what people don't realize is that nonprofit are also corporations. We, the difference is that, you know, the services we provide are not dividends to a stakeholder, but we nonetheless have stakeholders that need services, but we have needs around whether it's HR or finance or whatever. There's many ways, you know, technology that we could come together with corporations and really set up a model of collective work um, and responsibility around servicing the community. Well, thanks, Zuma, for telling me a little bit about your organization. You're welcome. So, Davida Cunningham, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about um, the Helen Keller International Organization, um, which received $250,000 through this United Healthcare grant to provide school and community-based vision screenings, among other things. Yes, of course. So the Childside Ohio program has been around since 1999. We are responsible for providing free vision screenings and eyeglasses at no cost to students in select low-income communities. Up until just recently, we were providing this service for students in Cleveland Metropolitan School District, East Cleveland Schools, and Warrensville Heights Schools. But with this grant, we were able to expand our service territory. Tell me a little bit about the need in the area for these kinds of services. Are, are people not getting the screenings they need and why aren't they? There's a roadblock or there's a challenge for families to be able to get to eye doctors and get actual vision screenings. Um, there could be different reasons why families don't do it. One, it could just be not knowing or not understanding their um, health care, knowing that they do have one free vision screen in a year that they can utilize. And then the other thing is not being able to actually recognize the need that perhaps their child may be having some visual issues. For our program to be able to go directly into the schools, 
and work closely with the nurses and administrators to be able to provide this service is assisting our families with that. Just up until recently, we were able to provide this service for grades four through ninth grade. And with this um, grant through United Healthcare, we were able to expand that. So we're still providing a service for fourth through ninth graders, but we've expanded that to include our upperclassmen, um, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders as well. And we've also expanded that service territory to include vulnerable populations such as homeless veterans. So now we are able to provide this free vision screenings and eyeglasses to adults as well. Medicaid is one of the big stories in Ohio. Just so many Ohioans, it's a lifeline for them. And you know, children, more than 50% of children in Ohio are born mm-hmm. to Medicaid. So, you know, and Medicaid is generally thought of as, you know, fairly good on issues around vision, for example, um, especially compared to some of the private health care plans. Is that a misconception then? Um, just in my opinion, because sometimes we have to make phone calls um, home just to kind of explain that we were at their child's school, that we provided them with a, a vision screening. Sometimes those phone calls will include further instructions, meaning that um, the doctor wasn't able to complete an exam so that they're requesting that the parents take them into their family op- optometrist or optician um, to get a complete exam. Uh And I just found in my experiences that a lot of the times the parents don't know how to navigate that or they aren't even um, aware that they have that benefit. We do have this American tradition of not giving vision and eye care as much weight as it should have in our total healthcare um, outlook. We kind of have it in patches, but not as a general commitment in a broader way. Right. You're absolutely correct. And um, as I mentioned before, it doesn't really become an issue um, because a lot of teachers or parents are not equating maybe bad behavior or um, students making bad decisions in school. Um, They're acting out because they can't see, they can't participate in the lessons in the classroom. That's just the way of them, you know, kind of showing that they need help. Um, I know the the obvious is the child that sits right up front as close to the board as possible, but sometimes our students are not, they just don't advocate for themselves in that way. So I want to ask you a similar question to um, what I just spoke with Zulma Zabala about, which is you know, what, these collaborations, I mean, what, what do they mean to a nonprofit like you doing the kind of work you're doing and I mentioned the Medicaid program because I'm genuinely interested in why that need is not being met through our major, uh, one of our major lifeline healthcare provider um, safety nets in the state. I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit moving forward what these kinds of partnerships mean to your organization. These partnerships mean everything to us. Um, Just like Zuma, we are so excited that this was just an opportunity for us to be able to expand our services. Um, I definitely believe that this is a model that should move forward and help in nonprofits because sometimes we do kind of feel lonely out there <laughs> trying to, you know, um, really scrape and beg for funds to make sure that we're able to meet the needs of the communities that we serve. So I definitely feel that it's a model to continue. And we as well hope to continue our partnership with United Healthcare to continuously expand our services because we um, recognize that it's not just our students and schools now that need our assistance. Since the expansion of our program, we've been to senior citizens that, you know, sometimes it's obvious to other people, you kind of feel that senior citizens are able to get 
their needs met as far as um, vision screenings and eyeglasses and things of that nature. But just in our experience over this past summer, we've learned that a lot of our senior citizens um, have old prescriptions, some so old that they can't remember how long they've had them. Thank you both for sharing a little bit about your organizations and this program in particular. No problem. Thanks for having us. I enjoyed learning more about these organizations, including some of the great and important work they're doing in Northeast Ohio. We're going to include some information about them in the show notes in case you want to support them as well or learn more. Next, I turn to Tracy Davidson, Vice President of Quality and Population Health Strategy for United Healthcare. I spoke with Tracy at United Healthcare's offices in Dublin, Ohio. Tracy Davidson, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you very much, Dan. It's great to be here. Yesterday, I had a, the great opportunity to talk with Davida Cunningham at Helen Keller International and uh, Zuma Zabala at uh, East End Neighborhood House. They told me all about the important work their organizations are doing in Northeast Ohio. And they also told me how excited they are about the support they have from United Healthcare to expand their services through this grant program. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the Empowering Health Initiative and how it came about and what it is. I'd be happy to. So most people know United Healthcare as a health insurance company, um, but we are much more than that. We are actually a health and well-being company, and the health um, or the Empowering Health grants. Uh, we're actually a way for us to be able to recognize the needs of our local communities where we live, work, and play. Um, it is uh, fascinating to know that 80% of what influences a person's health uh, really is non-medical, uh, believe it or not. And so what we needed to do was recognize how do we help communities get connected, build capacity, and fund initiatives that actually address the social barriers to people receiving good access to healthcare. You know, I mean, I teach medical students, and we emphasize the fact that so much of what drives health is actually not medical. So that's one of the things that brings us to you today here. Right. So healthy food, stable housing, uh, reliable transportation, as well as safety net services. Those are really the impactful um, services that help in our underinsured as well as our underserved communities here in Ohio as well as across the country. So there are so many organizations around Ohio doing amazing work, um, you know, and it just struck me talking with the folks yesterday. This particular moment of this grant within Ohio is focusing on four organizations, but there were so many organizations you could have picked from. Can you tell me a little bit about how you landed on these particular ones, what, what the process was? Yeah, actually, we were looking specifically at communities of need and where we have um, a lot of activities within United Healthcare. So our demographic, uh, the various businesses that we serve, whether that's through the Medicare business, Medicaid business, or our commercial customers, which are employer groups. Um, and when you look at the, the community within the Cleveland, greater Cleveland area, there was um, a designated need for these specific service needs. Each of these not-for-profit agencies actually put in a grant application and were reviewed. So they were reviewed with a number of our internal uh, groups as well as external board agencies to try to identify those specific needs that the Cleveland area needed the most of. It was on the merit of the need in the community um, as well as peer review and how then we could connect these four agencies to build capacity in the community. And I think that's what's really beautiful about this particular Empowering Health uh, grant application process 
it's not just about the dollars that you know the million dollars that we're we're investing in these agencies it's really about how do we help build the connected tissue the, mm -hmm. what i call the connective tissue in a community and so great work is happening in each of these agencies but how do we make sure that um, they are connected together in interagency operations one so we don't duplicate services and two so that we really extend the service and the capacity beyond just the four walls of those specific agencies. Um, we're creating a community uh, advocacy board or advisory council um, where we're bringing together community leaders, uh, not-for-profits, as well as any of our healthcare delivery system partners in that community to figure out how these grants work collectively yeah. together to serve the greater Cleveland area. So $1.1 million to these four organizations mm -hmm. right now, and I know you have a much larger national program that mm -hmm. you work on as well. Mm -hmm. um, do you expect or have you already heard from others saying, hey, us too? I mean, is, you know, whenever somebody comes out with a checkbook, um, you know, these organizations need money. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how do you handle kind of what's next and sort of other organizations? And here we are in central Ohio. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's any kind of plans to be in this area or if you're hearing from folks in this area as well. Yeah. So actually, um, United has done a lot of investment across Ohio as well as the country over the last number of years. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're somewhere here about $400 million across the country in affordable housing, specifically. Mm -hmm. um, locally here in central Ohio, we uh, gave a $1.7 million investment to Celebrate One, mm -hmm. which is to combat black infant mortality. Uh, that was three years ago. To and folks build. in the central Ohio area, especially within you know, the 270 ring, yep. know Celebrate One. Yes. Yeah, very, very well. And, and actually has been one of our featured grants to help identify best practices in how community agencies can work collectively together to build capacity. That particular grant extended workforce by 72 community health workers. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a $60 million investment, excuse me, a $12 million investment in a 60-person home. Uh, community dwelling um, in Dayton, again, starting to look at the affordable housing landscape. And then just recently, um, a couple of months ago, uh, we invested in Cincinnati uh, Lighthouse Youth Services, um, about $850,000 for transitional and homeless youth. And so the question that you asked was really about how do we look at the investment needs of a particular community? Um, there is a foundation uh, that we have, the United Health Foundation, that does look toward the community to bring in grant opportunities to us, and we evaluate those. But in addition, we are in all 50 states. We understand the specific needs of local communities, and healthcare is delivered locally. So, going back to the beginning of our conversation, it's really about understanding the dynamics of the specific communities that we live, work, and play, yeah. and beginning to understand the demographics and the uh, special needs of each of those specific areas and making solid commitments to, to those um, organizations. So while we're here talking about these um, corporate, nonprofit, or whatever you kind of want to call this collaboration, yeah. right, with these different kinds of groups, obviously there's an elephant in the room, the current political environment. You and I were just talking before we started recording the Democratic debate's going to be over there mm -hmm. in, in Westerville at Otterbein soon. And there's been a lot of talk about pharmaceutical companies, mm -hmm. insurers like United Healthcare, mm -hmm. and uh, more recently, hospitals have started to become part of the conversation. How do you think about the bigger picture of, you know, I mean, multi-billion dollar um, health insurers and then the, this kind of work? I mean, 
as I talked to Davida Cunningham and Zuma Zabala yesterday, they made really clear that this money is a game changer for them. This helps them to expand their services. But I also asked, you know, in particular, talking to Davida Cunningham at Helen Keller, our Medicaid program is supposed to provide a lot of what Helen Keller does, right? I mean, that we're so deficient in Ohio right now in terms of just screening for hearing issues and providing glasses. Do you think about this kind of profit, nonprofit uh, collaboration? Is, is it filling needs that are, are presented because of, a, of failures in the safety net? Or is it just kind of the way the healthcare world works today that you need these different kinds of entities involved? I think it's the latter. I really do think it's the latter. Um, it does take a village. Yeah. Um, we collectively need to use our resources wisely. They're finite. Right. Yeah. And so whether it's state resources, federal resources, our own United Healthcare Foundation dollars, other foundation dollars, investments from communities and, and individuals and communities, these efforts really are about connecting all of those assets and coordinating them in a fashion where they can be brought to bear uh, to build capacity in a community. And so I think it speaks again to the latter part of your question around it is a new day. There are finite resources. And when I think about the investments that we are making here through Empowering Health, it's really about where we started with this whole 80% is not medical. Um, We have to deal with the social issues as well as the community issues that get us to lack of health care or lack of the ability to get to health care. And I think that's where we really have to redirect a lot of the resources in, in the work that we're doing collectively, both in the private industry and the public industry. United Healthcare. Then, I mean, are you active also in advocating for expansion of the social safety net? I mean, I know United Healthcare is involved with Medicaid, mm-hmm. involved with a lot of these large mm-hmm. government programs, mm-hmm. right? And it also strikes me. So, you are a vice president of quality and population health strategy for mm-hmm. United Healthcare. Yeah. This is not a title that you would have seen 25 years ago in the, in the healthcare industry, the for-profit healthcare industry. Is this? responding to just an obvious change in healthcare that we can't just be, you know, providing people care within clinical spaces. We need to get out there and change neighborhoods. Is this in part also about PR, about showing up, about being out there and making sure that you're visible in the community? I mean, how, how do you think about the bigger picture? Is it just that medicine's changing or do companies have to respond to be kind of seen as being players out in those spaces now? Um, I actually think it's more of the first part. Um, it's much more about how has medicine, how has um, health care changed? over the last number of years. And so population health is really about how do we look at population conditions and the needs of specific groups um, that might be different and how do we align resources as well as medical care um, to meet those particular needs. So it's not so much equity and equality and all those words that come together, but it's really about how are we advancing um, the work that we're doing locally. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited uh, yeah. about the role. The role is fairly new for me over the last 30, 60 days to begin to think about not only Ohio, but the rest of the, the country and how we show up. And so the second part of your question is differentiation, distinction, those yeah. kinds of more um, uh, recognition. And I don't think that's it. It really is for us to be able to get to the base of what our trends are. We have to understand that healthcare is delivered locally and understand the special needs of each of these communities. Until we can address some of these issues, 
the, the trend is going to continue. And so we need to think about how do we change that dialogue and the discourse and, and make a difference and then show up to do it. So not just talk about it, but actually show up, provide dollars, capacity planning, resources, and talent um, to be able to change the paradigm. You're going to hear, though, this narrative of that old saying that we have a, a sick care system in the United States, right? And this assumption um, that companies make money off of people being sick. But here you are saying, no, we actually want to prevent people from even needing our services on some end. If my job is done right, I won't have a job in the future. And so for many people, living a healthy lifestyle goes beyond a visit to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a full range of social factors, right? So it's difficult for people to improve their health if they can't feed their families or they lack access to reliable transportation or if they feel isolated. And so these empowering health grants are really about delivering innovative ways to make a real impact on people's lives. Um, and well-being, especially for the underinsured and the uninsured. So do your bosses know that you're trying to put yourself out of business then in the long run? By yes. Making yourself obsolete? Yes, yes. There, there are going to be a lot of difficult questions, especially in the political arena, that are going to be addressed around there. But in this case, and this is something I've actually personally, I'll just admit, I have to, I've had to come around on, this idea that we will turn to companies like United Healthcare instead of, let's say, Medicaid or Medicare, or that, you know, just even understanding what collaboration looks like. This has been a model that's emerging, and it's, it's taken me a little bit to get my head around as a health policy person because it's, it's new. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we are in a state here that just hasn't funded a lot of things adequately. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, the people working in nonprofits are so gracious about this. I think I, I tried to ask Zuma and Davida about that, and they said, we're just grateful for the money we're getting. And, and that's kind of what you see in the nonprofit sector, yep. which is, you know, put that other stuff aside. We need money to get people glasses, or we need money to get people transportation to their healthcare services. So I think that requires a little bit of a different way of thinking about healthcare. And I, I hope that people can both do the bigger picture vision for the future while also just trying to get people the things they need in the short term, too. Yeah, Is that I, kind of how you think about it as well? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I think then, too, this whole connective part of how do we connect all those agencies back to they just want to do their work yeah. and get people glasses or make sure people have food or effective transportation the right things for them to be focusing on. Mm -hmm. But if there are ways that the business community can partner alongside to help look at scale, resource investment, business practice that actually can elevate some of the agencies, that's what it's all about. And I see this as a place that United can really be distinctive and be able to help create the environment that allows this kind of innovation to prosper. Great. Well, I look forward to seeing what United Healthcare is up to in the next stages of the Empowering Health Initiative. And um, thank so. you so much for being here. It really is about featuring those four organizations yeah. and helping them be the most successful they can be. Great. Well, thanks for talking with me. Thank you. Thanks to Davida Cunningham, Zuma Zabella, and Tracy Davidson for making the time to talk with us. As I mentioned, you can read more about these organizations as well as United Healthcare's grant program in our show notes. I hope that these interviews are useful for thinking through the current funding of health-focused initiatives here in Ohio. 
Obviously, especially given the current state of health policy debates in the U.S. and some of the polling we have about how people view health insurance companies, corporations like United Healthcare have a good deal of work to do to convince Americans that they truly are, as Tracy Davidson put it, not just health insurance companies, but a health and well-being company. To be clear, I think it's important that we recognize and acknowledge well-capitalized health insurers when they give back to communities. At the same time, I hope that these conversations in this episode are helpful for thinking through the broader questions in health and healthcare in Ohio. In the meantime, these organizations are glad for the new resources and grateful for anything that allows them to expand their programming. It sure is going to be interesting to see how private health insurers position themselves over coming years, as well as how these changes in healthcare lead to collaboration between the for-profit and non-for-profit sectors. Here at Prognosis Ohio, we'll continue to follow these changes closely. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Franz. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and really wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you could leave a positive review so we can continue to grow the show. You can also follow us on Twitter at at prognosisohio and email us your suggestions and feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.